0: And I have to say, if you are a true Georgian, right now you have this great desire to run outside and play, but a lingering sense of, well, maybe I ought to run to the store first and get some bread and milk and other things. Well, our scripture passage this morning that we'll be looking at is Matthew chapter 6, verses 16, 17, and 18, so please open up your copy of God's Word and look there with me. Matthew 6, verses 16, 17, and 18. Hear the word of the Lord. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you amen thus far the reading of God's holy word well the question that I have for all of us today is simply this why fast in a fast food world why in the world would we fast in a fast food world that's the question because you see, our humanistic culture is dominated by the worldview that the only thing that really matters is matter itself. That's what matters matter. So that we've reduced life down to the experience of consumerism as the end-all and the be-all to life. If you can't see it and taste it and touch it and eat it and drink it and experience it, it doesn't really even matter. Why fast in a fast food world? That's absurd. Our culture is so absolutely committed to excess and experiential pleasures. It, it all, all it takes is money. Money for us. It enables us. It drives us to, to pursue the appetites of our flesh for whatever. Whatever we want to serve sin and self instead of the God of creation and redemption. And this is the tragedy because deep down inside of every human being, there's a desire for wholeness and peace and true satisfaction. And sinners are trying to find that. They're struggling to find that. But the peace and the resolution and the acceptance, it only comes through the gift of God and the personal work of Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, when a person experiences the peace of Christ deep down in their heart and soul, they come alive to this joy of of deep communion and union with Jesus. And such a heart longs all the more to experience this union and communion. And that's why the gift of prayer is the chief duty and delight and the greatest gift that God gives us in experiencing Life in Christ as individual believers. Communion anywhere, anytime. And to assist us in this gift. The Lord's given us another gift to strengthen us in this gift. The gift of fasting and praying. Well, as we carry on in our short series on all prayer, to make all manner of prayers all the time as a congregation, the elders have called us to this. We find ourselves yet again in the Sermon on the Mount for a second Sunday in in a row. So what's the the biblical context for our verses? What's the biblical context here in the Sermon on the Mount? What in the world is the Sermon on the Mount? We're in the heart of it here in chapter 6. Well, the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon that was ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount is the Word preached by the Word made flesh, Jesus the Christ Christ. The one who came forth opening his mouth as the king of kings with his message of the kingdom. It's a summation of Christ's message about his kingdom and in the nature of the kingdom and the nature of his work. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. Jesus describes for his lambs the glory of his ministry and the glory of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what that does in and through his children by the grace of God. glorious we have to remember that jesus is not describing for us what we must do to become christians in the sermon on the mountain absolutely not this isn't a command for us to to go out and muster up all the spiritual strength that we could possibly muster up so that we could attain to the to the beatitudes the blessedness Or to fulfill the holy and royal law as Jesus describes in its perfection in the Sermon on the Mount. No, that's what our Savior does for us. He's the fulfillment and the glory. Well, the only right way to hear the Sermon on the Mount is to fall upon your face and cry out, Lord Jesus, save me. And our Savior delights to save And then by the grace of God, He begins to do that wonderful sanctifying work to to grow us more and more in the life of faith and hope and love, to seek to live for Him from the heart. And that's what Jesus is showing us here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, in the middle of chapter 6. In this section, He gives us three examples of how we are to offer up our hearts and our lives rightly to the Lord before the watching world. We are to offer tithes and offerings. We are to pray. And yes, at times we are to fast and pray. Well, these good things are to be done as a response to the gift of Christ out of the life sealed by living faith. But the faithless heart that wears the mask of religion without a heart for the Lord Perverts the Christian disciplines, perverts the gifts of God, seeking to use them as a tool to manipulate God if they could actually do that, and to manipulate other people. So what is biblical fasting? I gave you a short little definition in your outline to give us a handhold as we begin to look at this, but true fasting, biblical fasting, is not a standalone religious practice. It is always connected with prayer and a desire for deeper communion with the Lord. And here's my little definition for us. Biblical fasting is a Christian's voluntary and temporary abstinence from daily sustenance, For the express purpose of focused, humble prayer to the Lord. That's what we're confronted with. We see that God's people have fasted and prayed throughout the Bible. But here in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us stark warnings about fake fasting. And he gives us great encouragements about true and authentic fasting. So that brings us to our very first point this morning. The Lord Jesus gives us a strong warning against fake kingdom living. The Lord Jesus gives us a strong warning against fake kingdom living. Jesus has been contrasting true religion that flows from a heart for God and His glory with that of false religion and that with a heart for self and sin and self-worship. You see, he's exposing the Pharisees. He's unmasking the Pharisees, the fake religious people. As you probably know, having read the Bible, if you've been a Christian very long, that the Pharisees had a great big problem. They had a heart problem. They had a head problem. And they had a life problem that displayed the reality of their fake living before the Lord. You see, it's because their their hearts weren't devoted to the Lord and His glory. Their hearts were devoted to self-glory, and they sought to receive the praise of men instead of seeing God praise. So Jesus warns us. The Pharisees' religion was all external, all for show. And we need to receive this warning. You remember in Luke chapter 18, Jesus gives that famous parable about the the Pharisee and the tax collector as they go up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, he's puffed up in pride before everyone and he he declares that he tithes all his possessions. And he fasts twice a week. He's puffed up with pride. He declares this before all. But you see, his fasting wasn't for the Lord. It was all for show. It was fake. So, Jesus warns us beware, don't be like the hypocrite. But he doesn't tell us to stop giving or to stop praying or to stop fasting and praying. But we have the holy warning when you fast, make sure you don't have the wrong audience. That's what Jesus declares for us. Fake fasting has the wrong audience, it has the wrong audience. False religion acts or plays a hypocritical role before a crowd to receive praise from the crowd. This fake fasting was was just play-acting before men. Play-acting before the Lord. You see, these hypocrites, they were out to impress other people. And for the Pharisees, the world of men was their stage that they played on. Living out religious practices before others to play the the holy man, the pious one, the religious one. Oh, look, see that person. See how devoted they are. They did so out of self-love and pride. They fasted publicly so everyone would see it. They did their religious service for the eyes of men and not for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, as we serve the body of Christ, we need to examine our own hearts and lives As we serve, who do we do it for? As we gather for worship, as we serve in the church as officers, as we serve as as leaders, as small group leaders, or Sunday school teachers, or as we gather together for prayer services, or whatever. Do we do it coram deo? Do we do it knowing that God is forever and always with me and watching me and seeing my heart and knowing all things? Do we do it for Him as our supreme and only audience, really? Do we do our works before the Lord knowing that He sees all? Well, fake fasting has the wrong audience, but it also has the wrong motive. Jesus shows us fake fasting has the wrong motives. Uh, These uh, Pharisees, they're being exposed for their wrong heart motives. They played for the crowd because their heart was for self-worship, not for the Lord. I mean, imagine that. Here are the leaders of the people of Israel, and they desired the worship of men for themselves more than they did to see men worship God. They should have known better. And you know, when we see hypocrisy, it's repugnant to us. In all of its forms. Especially political hypocrisy. But how much more religious hypocrisy. It's so off-putting. It's so disgusting. Well, Jesus exposes them. And condemns the motives of these Pharisees. They didn't fast and pray in order to experience deeper communion with the Lord. But to receive the praise of men. How sad. So again, brothers and sisters, we have to check our hearts and our own motives. We must check our heart motives in whatever we're doing in the name of the Lord. Who is it that we truly serve? Who is it that we're doing it for? Well, fake fasting has the wrong audience. It has the wrong motive. And it also has the wrong reward. That's what Jesus shows us. Fake fasting has a worthless reward. Reward. You see, the fake believer, make believing and playing as a religious person, receives this pathetic reward of five minutes of fame. An attaboy from another sinner, a momentary little worthless reward that's followed by an eternity of judgment. Well, Praise the Lord Jesus teaches us the holy corrective for fake fasting and and praying. That brings us to our second main point this morning. The Lord Jesus gives us a strong encouragement to run in the way of faithful kingdom living. What a joy, the corrective. He gives us a strong encouragement to run in the way of faithful kingdom living. Now notice this. Jesus does not say if you fast. But he says twice, when you fast. This is the way that you're supposed to do it. Anoint your head. Wash your face. Get up. Take a shower. Be presentable. Be well-groomed. And go forth in the quiet of your own heart with the Lord in what you're doing, fasting and praying. You see, there's an expectation by our Savior that we will engage in this blessed gift of fasting for the purpose of blessing our prayer times at seasons in our lives when we're faced with difficult things. But you see, non-believers look at fasting and consider it crazy. Of course they do. But sadly, many evangelicals would say it's just legalistic practice and that really the Christian life is just always and forever about celebration. I'm living my best life now. The Christian life is always and forever a celebration. It's always a feast. But you see, Jesus knows better because we're not in heaven yet. And all of life is not a celebration and a feast. He knows that we need to fast and to pray at times in our lives, to submit to His Word and to be blessed. And so we have to see this glorious truth if we're going to enter into the reality of true fasting and praying. And that's simply this. It's supernatural, really. Faithful fasting is only practiced as a response to God's gift of grace in Christ. We have to see this, we have to receive it, we have to rejoice in it because it's part of the gospel. Faithful fasting is only practiced as a response to God's gift of grace in Christ. You see, this is important. Everywhere we see fasting throughout the Scripture, it's voluntary except for one place. Fasting is mentioned throughout the Scriptures. But there is only one fast commanded by the Lord explicitly. Did you know that? And that's the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur in Leviticus 23 The only explicit command for God's people to fast, a total fast, no drinking, no eating, the day of atonement. It was to begin from sunset and run through sunset on the 10th day of the 7th month on the Hebrew calendar, the day of atonement, the day of the great sacrifice year after year that pointed the people to the coming of the sacrifice to bring peace between God and man. So how can our fasting and praying be blessed? How can anyone experience God's grace? Well, it's because the only human being that has ever lived that did not need to humble himself and pray and did not need a day of atonement came forth in the glory and the mystery of the gospel and humbled himself, pouring himself out in his life on the cross for the sins of his people the Lamb of God to pay our sin debt in the glory of His earthly ministry to live out in perfection and wonder and joy and absolute obedience to the law of God so that He might clothe us with His righteousness as we're forgiven in the gift of God's grace so that as we fast and pray as new creatures, through Christ, our prayers go up to the Father and they are answered. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of the day of atonement. And the gospel alone creates true worshipers and true people of life and thanksgiving and and joy with mind and heart to serve the Lord because Christ the Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So we can keep the feast of fasting and pray to the Lord. He's the true sin offering. So that fallen sinners can be forgiven and brought into fellowship. At the fall, the tragedy of alienation with God began and grew uglier and uglier as more and more people were brought into this broken world. So that sinners are separated from God, under the judgment of God, at enmity with God, a hostility with God. And Christ came forth as the one who would bring us back at one with the Lord through the gospel. What a glory! Only objects of God's grace in Christ who were once dead in sins and trespasses and yet born again, made alive again of Christ can fast and pray and be blessed by our Heavenly Father. Such a life will grow more and more beautiful by the gospel. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here. Jesus teaches us here that it's beautiful. Fasting, Faithful fasting is part of a living prayer life that looks to God alone as the greatest treasure and joy through a life of union and communion with Christ. That's what we need to see. That's what he's pointing us to. Faithful fasting is part of a living prayer life that looks to God alone as the greatest treasure and joy through a life of union and communion with Christ. You know, you can pray without fasting. But you cannot biblically fast without praying. And prayer is this daily and ongoing gift of communion with Him. And it's a a wonderful blessing that we have the gift of fasting that comes along, that helps us in our prayers. It supercharges our prayers. In the seasons of our lives, when we need this, we're, we're humbled in our hearts. When we fast, we focus intentionally upon the Lord and some need and we go to Him. With living faith and we pray. You see, Jesus assumes that his followers will pray and fast privately. And isn't it wonderful how he he doesn't tell us how often we must do this, and he doesn't tell us the circumstances in which we must do this. He assumes that we will do this, and we will as the Spirit leads us if we're in Christ. I've heard it said, never resist the urge to pray. Have you ever heard that? The Spirit prompts you, it's time to pray, pray. Well, how doubly so, never resist the urge to fast and pray as the Spirit moves in our hearts. Well, this brings us to our third main point this morning. I think it's important for us to see fasting has been a diverse and a blessed practice by God's people throughout history. We really need to see this, and we can't do it justice here in a a minute or two on a Sunday morning sermon. This sort of thing could be a whole series, but we need to see this, at least snapshots. You remember the example of Nehemiah, the great leader of Israel. He was the one called to lead the exiles of Israel back into the promised land. You remember what happened in his life when he was prompted by the Lord to go and petition the king for this. He was afraid, he was anxious, he was scared. So he fasted and he prayed and the Lord blessed it and the king sent them forth into the promised land. Remember the example of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. He's fasting and he's praying and he's reading his Bible and he is overcome with conviction of sin for himself and for the people of God. And the Lord reveals to him that the exile is going to be a lot longer than he thought it was. and He cries out, fasting and praying, confessing the sins of the nation. And God is blessed to remind him of his promise. That he is a covenant, faithful, keeping God who will restore his people. He blesses Daniel. We consider the example of King David. That horrible moment. In time and space, when David fell into the sin of adultery and murder, and Bathsheba was with child, and the baby came forth, sick unto death, David was overwhelmed, and he fasted and prayed that the Lord would save this child, and what happens? The Lord doesn't save the child's physical life, but the Lord gives David the assurance that whereas the The child wouldn't come back to David. In this life, David would go forth to see the child again in glory. What a blessing. What about the example of the New Testament church? All the examples and acts of fasting and praying, and they center almost always around men being set apart for gospel ministry. The church fasting and praying about those who would serve the church? What an example for us, for our own conversation, our own congregation. Well, as we consider these things, I think it's important for us to just see briefly, quickly the, the certain, the different types of fasts in the Bible, so that we see what kind of fast is Jesus assuming that we will do personally and privately in our own Christian lives. We need to see generally just the different fasts. First, there's there's the regular fast what theologians call the regular fast or the general fast. That's what we see throughout Scripture. And that's what we really see throughout church history. Practiced a lot. And it's not a fasting from, from drink. It's a fasting from food for a period of time. And usually it was sunrise to sunset. And what would usually take place is, is uh, the, the Christian would would watch the sun rise and remember that the son of righteousness has been raised from the dead with healing in his wings. And then that person would deny themselves the three meals of the day for the specific purpose of dedicated prayer. And if you think about it, even in our own culture, how much time do we spend shopping and cooking and eating and cleaning up? Maybe not you kids, but everybody else. If we set aside three meals in a day, we have a lot more time to pray, don't we? How much more for these ancient people? So that's the the regular fast. Set aside, humble themselves, seek the Lord for specific things. Then there's the partial fast. We see that in the life of Daniel. Daniel and his, his three friends, you know, they don't abstain from all food, just some food. Remember what the food was? The food from the king's table, the pagan king and his wine. A partial fast. They ate vegetables and they drank water and the Lord blessed it. They were set apart for a holy purpose. Then we see absolute fasts in the Bible. As we talked about Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. An absolute fast is no eating and no drinking. We see this in Ezra chapter 10. The example of this. And we also see the reality that sometimes, very rarely, an absolute fast turns into a supernatural fast. When Moses was called up onto Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, an absolute fast of no eating or drinking to receive the law of God to bless the people of God. You can't live for 40 days and 40 nights without food and water. But supernaturally, the Lord saved his life and protected him. Well, there are congregational fasts and there are corporate fasts. And interestingly, there are national fasts. Even pagan nations fast, we've seen in Scripture. When God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach the word of judgment, what happened? The Spirit of the Lord struck the king of Nineveh with great repentance and conviction and he called for a national fast. That everybody would lament and cry out to the Lord. And He blessed them. Well, then we come to the fast that Jesus is calling us to keep. The private fast. This is what Christ is speaking of here in Matthew chapter 6. It's the ordinary, ongoing gift of fasting for God's people for the purpose of devoted prayer individually in your life as you live for the Lord. We humble our hearts, we sacrifice the comfort of food to focus on something particular, something important, devoting ourselves earnestly to prayer for a particular reason in a particular season, and the Lord promises to bless it. Don't you see the glory of this as we humble ourselves? We come in under the mighty hand of God's word of truth, and we come to the bread of life and we, res- we, we receive his promise and we believe his promise that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And that there is something more important to our lives than simply being filled up with physical food and drink. It's to be filled up with the word of God and the spirit of God. And it's true. We can't live very long without physical food and drink. But we can't truly live without spiritual food and drink from our Lord. And so when we abstain from food, things get really serious, don't they? I mean, I know that as a dad that takes the family on road trips. You know, we get an hour down the road and it's clamoring for food. Maybe that's been your experience. Things get very serious when people are hungry. Well, when you abstain from food, you get a sense of clarity. You get a sense of focus. You have a focus on the situation. As you fast and pray, the Lord will make it more intense. It's a a blessing. We're humbled in our hearts as we seek God's answer to something to experience more of the love of God in Christ Jesus. It shows a priority to the seriousness of what we are seeking from the Lord when we do this. So, Jesus teaches us, brothers and sisters, very clearly that his followers will fast and pray simply for the glory of God and the pleasure of our Heavenly Father and for the good of our lives. That's what he teaches. That's what he promises. So, fasting and praying, do we do it? I know I don't do it as I should. I've been neglecting this practice that would be a great blessing. Is your heart growing cold? Are your prayers stalled? Well, fast and pray. Well, we have a few applications just quickly this morning. Why should Christians fast and pray? Well, to seek God's gift of strength and power. How can we live the Christian life without the hidden energy and strength and power of the Holy Spirit? To love and serve and obey with zeal and joy. We can't do it without the strength and power of the Lord. So we should fast and pray and seek it. Why else should Christians fast and pray today? Well, to seek God's gift of wisdom and guidance. Isn't that true? The older you get, the more crossroads you come to. And you desperately need divine wisdom and guidance to know which way to turn and what to do. And God's promise to give us divine wisdom and guidance as we fast and pray, and He will show us the right godly decision. Will we also fast and pray, brothers and sisters, to seek the gift of forgiveness and assurance. Have you fallen back into some besetting sin? Are you in the midst of a season in your life that is really one big backsliding affair? And you feel trapped. You feel shame. You feel ensnared. Fast and pray. Seek the Lord with a contrite heart, a broken heart. Seek forgiveness. He delights to answer such prayer. And he will give you the assurance of your salvation and the mystery Of the Holy Spirit's ministry to your heart. He will remind you that Jesus is altogether lovely and your perfect Savior. Well, why should we fast and pray today to seek God's protection and deliverance from real evil? This world is filled up with real evil. We fast and pray when we sense that we're under spiritual attack. We fast and pray when we feel as though we need to be delivered from the evil one. I don't know about you, but the last 18 months, I have sensed more acutely that our our battle, it's not against flesh and blood, as Paul says, but against spiritual powers and principalities in this dark age. We fast and pray and seek God's protection and deliverance from the evil one and his followers. Well, just generally and finally, why should Christians fast and pray today? We do so to seek God's glory and good in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, with our children, our church, our community, our nation, and the nations. That's why we fast and pray. When we humble ourselves individually and we get out of our heads the the worldly way of thinking and we see things through the the lens of the Word of God, we just see all around us the brokenness and the need, the need of the hour. Shouldn't we fast and pray as we consider the sanctity of life? Indeed. Shouldn't we fast and pray as we see our missions conference on the horizon? That God would move in our hearts and lives and show us how we can better serve the world by sending forth and supporting missionaries and praying for missionaries and even going ourselves and as you've already heard our beloved denomination is under attack and this general assembly this summer is probably the most important general assembly since the first one and so shouldn't we fast and pray for our beloved church the presbyterian church in america that's under attack People calling us away from biblical truth about sexuality and gender. Yes, we should. Well, why is it again that any of our fasting and praying is blessed? Jesus, the bread of life. And he calls us to feast with him. And it's my conviction that there are six days to fast and pray, and the Lord's day is not one of them. This is a day of feasting with the Lord and with each other. So let's do that. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we praise your holy name and we thank you for your goodness and we ask that you would bless us in our endeavors to live for you as we fast and pray. Oh Lord, feed us even now, we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.